to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be just looking at two verses, verses 12 and 13 this morning. We'll read those in a moment. We are just a, a few weeks into 2023. We're in January still, and I am hoping all those New Year's resolutions are sticking and faring well. Um, I've never been very good at, uh, at those, um, as is typical of most, as the studies show. Studies actually show just following um, the goal of saving money, the second one, the most common resolution made by um, people is working out, a commitment to work out. Can we just be a little honest this morning? That's right. <laughs> Um, there, an article stated, come January, 40% of Americans will make New Year's resolutions and nearly half of them will aim to get in shape. Come the 1st of January, the hordes of enthusiastic resolutioners account for the swelling number of gym, yoga, Pilates memberships as the diet books fly off the bookstore shelves. By the second week of February, some 80% of those resolutioners are back home with a new kind of remorse staring back at them in the mirror, the remorse of disappointment. Now, I don't share this to shame anybody or set anybody up for a, uh, a worrisome February. Uh, maybe you won't be in that 80%. Um, so I'm not tossing water on your plans or your, your gym membership you just bought. Um, but I, I share this knowing my own failings in sustaining, in particular, the desire to work out and to, to get in shape or maybe some goal of mine. That, that at some point, I, I lack sustaining motivation commitment, discipline, something foundational to keep me sort of self-willed and self-empowered to, to be resolved in that goal. Well, we're going to come to a, a set of texts this morning in Scripture regarding a, a, a working out of sorts, a, a work of the obedient life of the Christian, of God's people, one that is, a, that is non-negotiable for the believer an exercise of faith. And this, so this is a resolution that, that is not optional for God's people. Yet, yet God's call, and this is the difference, God's call for his people, the do is, is backed, filled with a powerful promise of what he did and what he does. It doesn't rest in us, ultimately. And Paul is helping God's people not to be left with self-will or pulling up themselves by their bootstraps or white knuckling obedience and following Jesus and filling his commands, but, but to give them a vision of what is so much bigger, so much more powerful that keeps the Christian going in the call of God, that will enable their pursuit of God. And, and what we saw back in chapter 1, verse 27, to, to live as citizens of God's kingdom, worthily of the gospel, their manner of life, worthy of what God's gospel has called them into. And so, because of what Jesus has done on our behalf and God's ongoing power in his people, in us, we can follow his commands and become more like Jesus Christ. And so, we're going to see that from our text. Let's read and then I will pray and we're just going to, we're going to jump in. Looking at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as I, in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Join me as we pray. Well, Lord, we, we open up your word this morning, and as we, we, just, we just sung um, that prayer, Lord, show us Christ. As we, as we open up your word today, would you, would you by your spirit, the spirit that, that inspired, that enabled men to pen these very words, these are your words, we, we invite you, come, spirit, to open up our hearts that we would, we would be caught up in beholding Jesus. Uh, that all the, all the things that this scripture calls us to, may we be left with, as we leave these doors, just our feet ready to skip because of what God you have done in Jesus Christ and who we are in you. So do this, Lord, I pray, for your glory, for our joy. Amen. So we're just going to look at two points this morning in our, our two verses, our, our work and God's work. So let's begin with our work. First, I want to draw attention to how he addresses them. Um, he begins this statement affirming his affection once again for this, this church in Philippi. He, we've seen this marked through his letter already. He, he's the founding pastor, his, his care, his affection for them. But he holds them on his heart, he says. He, he prays for them. And he's about to give them a, a kind of a weighty charge. And he's just leaning in, reminding him of, them of his affection for them. My beloved. My beloved. He, he loves them. He wants what is best and pleasing to the Lord and for their joy in God. So, therefore, my beloved, and he says, as you have obeyed in the past, I want you to keep obeying even more in my, my absence, working out, working out their salvation. So we see this connection between this, this obedience and the, the working out. But a key word here is therefore. Therefore, just, just look at that, that word there in your Bible. Therefore, verse 12, therefore is telling us it's something before that we need to consider based on what he's saying about their work. What is this? Well, I think Paul links this therefore back to a couple things that we saw recently in verses 5 through 11. One is the exaltation of Jesus. We consider this Christ him last week. I mean, this picture in verses 9 through 11 of the, the highly exalted reigning king. He, he is Lord of lords. He is the name above all names. And every tongue must confess, every knee must bow to his lordship, to acknowledge his glory and so obedience or working out our salvation is because we have a Lord that we're called to obey. But we also know there was more that Paul went into. The, the why, the therefore, connects back to, to Christ's obedience, a call that is an example for the saints in Philippi, namely pointing to what Jesus Jesus' suffering and serving led to in the cross. Remember back where he says, have this mind, verse 5, in you, this attitude among you because of this, this mind is yours, which is also in Christ. And this should motivate you into humility, to one another's servanthood. So they can do that because Jesus, what Jesus did, what did he do? Jesus humbled himself he was a servant. He obeyed. He gave himself up, not for the interest of his own, but for the interest of others. Ultimately, obeying, obedience, that's key there, obedience to the Father, 
an obedience so powerful that it brought him to self-emptying, dying on the cross for others. So Paul's therefore points back to the lordship of Jesus and to the powerful cross work and humble work of Jesus. This is the call. This is the therefore that he points back to their work, their obedience, because Jesus suffered and because he is exalted. So behold him, see his humility, see his glory, see the salvation you have been given in Jesus, and now respond to that. So our obedience, our working out then, is because of what Jesus has done. And this, this isn't, and, uh, obedience isn't rule keeping, it's a, it, is, it is our total surrender to God as King and Lord and Savior, treasuring Him, the self-emptying of our life to be like Jesus, so that we surrender to Him in love and worship because of what He has done on our behalf. So our response is one of loving trust. The, the why, the motive is foundational. Um, many of you know and many of you have prayed for our family, particularly for my wife. She is, is at home now, laid up because she had foot surgery. And uh, so thank you for those who've prayed. Some of you brought us meals, humbled by that. But this, this is a wonderful opportunity for her to pull out her servant bell and, uh, and <laughs> ring that uh, at behest of, of her husband. Nate, can you, can you bring me my coffee? I need a, another pack of ice. Those steel-cut oats, can you cook them perfectly with some raisins and some brown sugar? Um, she doesn't ring a bell. I am joking. But I, but I could sigh, kind of make heavy footway pathway down the hall. What do you need again? What now, Hillary? That could be one way I could respond, but... But by God's grace, he's helped me not respond in that way. And the reason is because there, there's a motivation, a, a foundation to how I relate to her and who she is to me. My relationship with her, my love, my affections are fuel for the pursuit of serving the why, the, the gift of relationship that we have. So I'm made aware or I discern her needs or what she, what I, she needs, and I, 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 I want to bring her coffee or her, her oatmeal. The, the why is important, and the posture of my heart, my love for her, desiring her joy, is, is what's fueling that. And in turn, I receive joy. And so the, the duty becomes delight because of the why. And this is what Paul is seeking to set up the why for them, the call for them to follow Jesus, to become like Jesus, to obey Jesus is rooted in a why. And so at this point, I want to take a moment just to, to draw just to a couple theological sort of doct doctrinal categories that are really important that need to be clear as we move to a text like this, because there's a tension here. So, so stick with me. Some of these might be familiar. Some may feel new, but I want to talk about two terms, justification and sanctification. So Stick with me. We don't just always throw out theological terms just for that sake, but these are important to our salvation and what Scripture gives us. So first, the doctrine of justification. Now, this, this at times can be referred to as the great exchange, and there's a wonderful text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, that captures what this means. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So there, there's two parts to this. First is, is he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus, Jesus who perfectly obeyed the law, he lived a perfect life, holy life to God. God made him to be sin. Jesus on the cross, he took sin upon himself. This is a word we use called imputed, meaning God accounted to him as if it was his own and then took the penalty for all that sin as if he did it. But he did it for our sake, meaning God treats his son as a representative, as a substitute for the sinner's punishment. This is the first part of this exchange. There's sin on Jesus. Our sin is given to him. And, and now we're left with this, this guiltless situation, but we still are required to live a perfect life that God requires. We still need to live the law that God would call us to in the holiness that is required to live and be accepted before the Lord. So this is the second part of the exchange. There, there is righteousness given. So we see that. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So where does this rightness, this right standing, this legal standing before God come that God requires? It is, is not in us. It is not something we achieve or done by us. It is in Jesus Christ. We are made righteous, uh, righteous uh, we are made righteous before God in Jesus by faith, by his righteous life being accounted or imputed as if it is our own. Therefore, when God looks at you, looks at me by faith in Jesus Christ, he sees the righteousness of his son. Always, forever. We are clothed in that perfect life along with our guilt being taken away. Paul points to this in chapter 3. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is, God, this is taken and given to us, not by works, not by things we can do, but by faith in Jesus. This happens instantaneously when we are saved once and for all. God's declaration over us, our legal standing, made right, righteous, that never leaves us, never departs from us, now through eternity. This is beautiful. This is a beautiful, beautiful doctrine. Now, the next part is there's more that the gospel work does in us. We are united with Christ. We're declared righteous. He gives us the spirit. There's all these other pieces of adoption. But that spirit is given to us, put in us, to begin to make us and conform us to become more and more like Jesus. This is what is called sanctification. We become more and more like Christ and grow in holiness in Christ's likeness. Scripture calls us to do this. We see this in our text today. There is something for us to do. There is work. There is fighting. There is fleeing. There is running. There is turning. There is confessing. All dependent on God for any effort we put forward. And that's what we're going to get to in a moment. This is by grace. So, at times, this portion is called progressive sanctification. You hear that? There is, it's a process. It's a process our entire Christian life until we see Jesus, something inward, subjectively he's doing in us, individually, the outworking of the gospel in our life. So, out of our identity in Jesus, our position, our justified place, Paul is calling them to this walk of sanctification, to work out something that is already theirs in their identity in him. This isn't justification. 
They're not being made right before God. This is a call to walk out what they already have in God. The ongoing, progressive, transforming work in their life, their heart, their lives, their beliefs, their actions, conforming more and more to who they already are in Jesus. So both of these happen completely and fully at salvation by faith. They're inseparable, but one is progressive, one is complete. So Paul wants them, as they obey, obeyed when he was there, that they would obey when he's gone, and this is taking the shape of working out of what salvation they have, their identity already in Christ because of something that has been done objectively for them now through eternity. This is, this is their possession that is theirs, not something to work for, but something to work out of. A quote from commentator Alex Motier says, this is beautiful. He says, your own salvation, or this working out of your own, is to be understood not as an objective yet to be reached, certainly not as a benefit merited, but as a possession to be explored and enjoyed ever more fully. The proper models are the commands of a school teacher to a class to work out a problem. The problem, mathematics, is possessed but waits to be unraveled. Or the counsel to a newly married couple to work out your marriage. For marriage once possessed is possessed in full, but merits a lifetime of exploration, enjoyment, development, and discovery. So we possessed a gift of salvation that we did not merit, that we did not earn, that we do not deserve, but has been freely given to us by the grace of God. And it, it is Jesus that we've been given. We are in Jesus. We have Jesus. We have his righteousness. We have his full forgiveness. It is possessed by us, our union with him, our uniting with Christ in our wedding with him. And salvation now is to be explored and developed and enjoyed more fully as we walk that out in him. He is ours we are his, and this sweetens obedience. This makes the call of God to go and do as something not as a nasty word. We hear that word obey, obedience, and we could think it's like a curse word. It's nasty, but this, this is one that the gospel transforms into something good because our motivation is flowing from what we have received in Jesus and what we want to do as we follow and love Jesus. It's beautiful expressions of our love. Jesus teaches us. He teaches us in John 15. He tells his disciples, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see how Jesus shapes this? The, the love that he has for the Father is what drives him to seek to obey. And he wants his disciples to experience the, the joy of that loving obedience as well. And this is Paul's heart. That's why joy is at the core, one of the cores of the book of Philippians. He is after the Philippians' joy in God. And he knows that that is a flowing, that flows from our working out our obedient life. And there's a manner in which we do that with fear and trembling. But given all that we know about the gospel, we just talked about the free grace of God and Jesus, the unmerited favor, we're not earning, we can't deserve it. We know this fear and trembling is not something that we must do to gain acceptance, that, we, that compels us away, but actually compels us toward in humble, sober living because we are in awe of God and we trust in him. 
That's why this follows that Christ hymn, because we're brought to a place of seeing and beholding the humble servant of God, Jesus, and we want to be caught up in that same, same thing, in love, in reverence, and in awe. So our reverent worship of our holy God and who we are in Christ now, it, it, we're, brought, we're brought near to him. No longer in this statement is it a statement of fear of judgment, but through him we're brought near to his presence in worship and trust. So we want to we be brought near because in, as we grow nearer to him, our heart becomes more like his heart. We, we know him and we become like him. One author just helped you describe this idea of progressive sanctification as, as more like progressive nearness. As we, as we come near his heart, as we understand his love, as we work out what God has been given us in Jesus, this, this working, this, this nearness that we're experiencing of his heart, knowing him, and him, us becoming more like him. That's good. That sounds sweet. And, and, and even in that call to work, to do, Paul sandwiches this with another beautiful encouragement and confidence. Look at verse 13, God's work. How do we achieve this obedience working out of our gift of salvation by grace? This, is, this imperative, this command is immediately followed by this promise of, of God, the the, the causer, the, the, the working out in our life is because God is working for and in us. Look at verse 13 again. For it is God, or because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Notice Paul uses that same verb. You're, you're working and God's working. He's linking these two. One is causal to the other. God makes our work possible and he makes our work certain because he's willing. He is working. When God wills and when God works, it gets done. That's the kind of, that's kind of thrust we have behind us as we seek to follow Jesus. Just here, God's powerful, initiating, active, effective, willing, and working. And this is, this is all over Scripture for God's people. It's, it begins, as we just talked about a moment ago, the, the sovereign grace of God in our salvation. Like in John 1, we're become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Or Romans 9, 6, salvation that depends not on the will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And the ongoing dependence is we love him and we worship him like we see in the psalm. Psalms, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. We don't stop trusting and looking to his help. Jesus reminds his disciples, as we were looking in John 15, that any fruit bearing that they're going to have in their life is going to be that they're attached to Jesus, abiding in him. Unless the Lord is, we're connected to Jesus, the Lord, abide in me, he tells them, because without me, you can do nothing. So, any working, any doing on our part is because there is a God, and there is a Savior who is on our behalf empowering us and helping us do that very thing. That's good news, saints. That's good news for us. We, we've all enjoyed, uh, maybe some others 
than, more than others, but the, the icy snow of late. I've got about like two feet of snow just above my, my uh, mailbox, like literally. It's just, so, it's just piled up. I nearly threw my back out the other day trying to get my mail because of the ice still sitting around everywhere. I remember one of the ice storms, I was coming out intersection near my home, coming up 41, which is kind of the incline area. There's a light, and I remember sitting at the light, and the, the light turned green for this person to make a turn towards me, and they just sat there spinning. You know, the light changes, all the other cars pass, this person's still sitting. And I was just looking at her, thinking of that, and I think, that, that is me, when I'm trying to will and do and work without considering my dependence upon Jesus. It's embarrassing. Everyone's looking around, looking at the thing. Yeah, you, you're not going anywhere. That's us. We recognize that. We recognize we do not have the power to move our heart, to heart towards Christ or in Christ likeness an inch without his willing, without his working, without his spirit. And he promises us right here that we are not alone. The thing he's calling us to we are not alone. We, by faith, look to him, and then we walk in him. We do do. We walk out in obedience by faith, but it's all resting in his love and the help of Christ. Paul points to that earlier in chapter 1 where he says, like, your prayers and the help of the Spirit, it's the only way I'm enduring. It's the only way I'm going to get through this, and this is the same for us. We cannot conjure up the change God calls us to. All our obeying, all our growing comes and flows from a position and a rest, knowing that the, our Savior, our identity in Him, and by the Spirit that works to produce this Christ-likeness in us. But I think it's helpful to ask a question about what Paul, when he's talking about this working out, this, what, what kind of obedience is, is he desiring to take shape in the life of the Philippians? Well, I think we can get a picture of this, of what Paul has been saying thus far in chapter 1, and particularly in the first part of chapter 2. That there needs to be a humility, a, a being, a servant like Jesus, an interest of others, self-denying, self-sacrificing, uh, oneness, a unity in and among God's community that is shaped by the gospel. A very good definition of love, I think, is self-sacrifice for the good or the joy of others. Paul tells us that the summary of the law of all things that we could obey could be boiled down to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if, if I'm loving God, worshiping him, loving him, trusting him, and humble confession and worship flowing from, let's say, the Christ him, and then I will then be moved, as John would tell us, we cannot love God, say we love God if we do not love our brothers. An overflow of our love for God is our love and expression towards our love for others. I will seek then to love others. So a working out, a, an obedient expression is God's shaping his love inside of me towards other. His willing, his working, his, his springing out of his love in me, keeping in step with the gospel, motivated by what Jesus has done, his example, to love others. Having this sort of mind, this sort of attitude, this is a working out of that. John writes in 1 John chapter Three, and this is his commandment. Notice one commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. So it's like the, the great commandment there, to love God with all our heart and love our neighbor. Believe and love one another. This is faith working itself out 
in love. This is why Paul has been hammering their unity in love as a church community. They, they will not be able to weather the storms from without, their, the suffering that was coming their way, and they would not be able to weather the divisions or the struggles that could happen within the church if Christ's love was not working out in their life, in their hearts, in their minds, side by side, in, humil- in unity, in humility. He knows if the working out of the gospel in their life wasn't particularly an expression of love, their pride and selfishness would destroy the church and they would not be able to endure. If they tried to edge each other out in their own work or with their own wills or with their own ideas, they would fail. They need God's work. They need his will in them, his agenda, and that is a manifesting of God's love in their heart towards one another. And they have all of heaven there to help them. This is a promise. This is a promise we have, church. I love this promise in 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Divine power granted to us. All of heaven behind us. This this promise, this foundation is given to us in Jesus. Is, is our promise, so every effort we make that we, we need to walk out and give ourselves to, we know that this is a divine power willing and working and helping us to walk in the love of God, to, to forgive as we should, to honor Him as we should. This is, this is why we hear the, the, the doing of God for us to do. Forgive as you have been forgiven in Christ. Honor God in your bodies because you have been bought with a price. God working, God willing, for us on our behalf. And this is for his good pleasure. We could say for his good purposes. But meaning, meaning, why does, why does he provide all the work and the willing and the grace and power for us as his people to follow, his, follow Jesus and to become more like Jesus? Does he do it? Does he do it because you and I look promising? Like we're a good find? Meaning, like, did we show up to the NFL combine and then our, you know, our 50-yard dash was just was, was on point, our, our vertical jump was enough, and then he, you know, he brought us on the team? Were we suitable enough, smart enough, were we humble enough? Did we not fear? Do we not battle with depression? Do we, do we not struggle with anger or lust or pride? And, and this is why he's working and willing. See, God doesn't come, and as it's been said, God helps those who help themselves. Praise God, that's not the case. He, what is he doing? He, he's willing and he's working for his good purposes. Not because you or I are, are good finds. It's because his good purposes, his good pleasure, he sets his love on us. Willing to work with those who are problematic, who have problems with resolutions and who struggle and who are weak, he sets it upon us, willing and working for his good pleasure, knowing he delights to do that. Christ in us, working in us for his glory, and he knows for our joy. It's possible, and I found this in my own life, that, that our frustration in growth, like our, our sense of despair, our lack of joy in God, stems from us looking often and too much to our performance in our work, 
rather than Jesus and what he has done and God's work and God willing for us. If our eyes are all too much on, on, the, on trying to evaluate my working, it is only going to lead to condemnation and hopelessness. We, we shrink the work of God, the God's willing and working in salvation. We shrink the cross, and on, other, on either end, it's despair and, and condemnation and lack of joy, and the other is our pride and our self-righteousness and our legalism. And, and, and Paul's breaking in here, reminding them of all of God's work on their behalf so they can live out joyful obedience, not despairing, not pride, but humble trust in God who's working It is his covenant. It is his sovereign choosing because of his mercy and his grace. It's grace that started the work. It's grace that's going to get us to the finish line. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians, tells him, it is but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect, meaning God willed and he worked. He, He accomplished it. He's doing his thing. No, I worked harder than all of them. I worked, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It's all him in the end. Working, but it's his work in us. So there's a tension here. We take responsibility. It is our doing, but we do because we're fully dependent on him. It's like two sides of a coin. There's dependent responsibility on the grace of God working in us to complete it. But there is an assurance that we have beginning to end. That's why I love why Paul began this letter in chapter 1, verse 6. I'm sure of this, but he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that until the day of Jesus Christ. So we have confidence. He's at work in us because of his good purposes and pleasure. And yet, yet if we looked in the mirror, as we talked about early, earlier, we, there could be disappointment, right? We, we know that the ups and downs of our Christian walk doesn't look like steady eddy, right? It, it is up and down. Our resolutions in God fall. We, we, we fall flat on our face. We, we did that this week. I did that this week in my weakness, in my, in my sin, in my unbelief. Have I done enough today? Will my prayers be answered? If so, has my, how's my performance been this week? What will keep us? What will keep us? It's not going to be us looking into our work, into ourself. It's going to be looking up and out to Jesus. That's why that therefore is so important. That's why that therefore gets us to get our eyes off ourselves to Jesus and respond rightly. Because when we look to Jesus, we, we, we can then turn to him in our confession in our repentance, and we can be sure in our faith of, in him that there is forgiveness. This, this is the recall we do in Jesus again and again, who we are in him and our need for him. Author Jonathan Dodson put it this way. I love this. He says, confession, our, our communication or repentance, is a verbal way of spiritually recovering our authenticity in Christ. We come to our senses in Jesus. It's as if we say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for I'm not acting like your child, for pretending to be someone I'm not. I want to return to my authentic self as your beloved child and live accordingly. In confession, we become authentically Christian, agreeing with God about our judgment, deserving sin, and trusting in his sin-forgiving grace. So we confess, we can confess as gospel people when we have failed and we 
aren't able to keep up what we think is the measure, and we turn to Christ. He, the cross was necessary, and the cross is sufficient. And when we live in the good of the gospel, this sort of therefore is God's people, it, it makes it safe for us to be a confessing people. Let us do that. Let us let that continue to be something that lives in among us, a confessing people, because we, we come again to our senses, who we are in Jesus. That's right. We're, we're, we're going to keep working. We're going to keep doing what we need to. And, and this, this, this way that I just lived was not in accordance with the gospel. And I, and I return again to who I am and what I have in Christ. And so as we saw the path of Jesus in verses 9 through 11 of, of Jesus' humble state and then his exaltation because of his obedience, he was lifted up. This, this is also our path. James 4 tells us that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. There is reward that is ours that comes through our obedience and following Jesus. Not a reward based on works, but a, a reward knowing that as we work out our salvation, as we continue to put our trust in faith in Jesus, as we follow him, as we continue to look to him, we will, we will be lifted up. We will be lifted up, and our reward will be to share in his glory, to know him, to be with him. Because of what Jesus has done on our behalf and God's ongoing power in his people, we can follow his commands and become more more like him because God works and wills. John Bunyan, may note him and a long dead author. This is usually attributed to him, uh, this, this small, small golden nugget. Um, I don't, it may not be his, but it, either way, it, it's, it's beautiful. It says this, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Saints, rules, rules won't, won't get us working out what we need to do. Our resolve can't be in our resolutions. What is, what is going to motivate us? What is going to keep us? What is going to empower us? It will be our faith on Jesus, our working out of our salvation that is ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This makes obedience sweet. This makes us desire to, to love him and fulfill his commands and follow him good because of what Jesus has done. And knowing that all of heaven, the divine power is all behind us in God, all is willing, all his doing for our good saints and for his glory. So, so may Jesus, may Jesus give us in his gospel fresh faith today. Fresh faith so that we, we can fly because the gospel gives us wings to love him and to love others, others well. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for, for the gospel that comes to us and it, it, it does what rules. Um, just hearing work out, uh, obey tells us, but it is... It comes to us and says, we can love and obey and work out a salvation that's been given to us in the beautiful, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ that comes to us freely by grace. We are Christ's. We are, we are righteous before you. We stand 
now and through eternity in right standing, righteous standing before you. And Lord, the gospel then at work in us empowers us and fuels for us a desire to to walk that out, to, to live in such a way that is pleasing to you and that is manifested by love towards others. And so, God, would you do that in us? I, I pray for those who maybe uh, inadvertently, but certain ways in their life that the cross has, has shrunk down and, and it's left them striving on their own to look to their own performance and working. Lift their hearts to you, Jesus, to see all your working that you've done on their behalf. It's theirs. For those of other, others of us who look around and we compare ourselves, our working to other people's workings and somehow that fills us with stability in our Christian walk or pride or self-righteousness, would you, would you humble us and let us, let us look to Christ who only alone is sufficient, who is holy and is good? And would you empower us all by your spirit, Lord, to, to walk out this, this text, to, to work out, to work out our salvation, Lord, knowing that we can because all of heaven is, is working. God, you are working and willing for our joy in you. Amen.